0: listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Hello and welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law and with me Yet again, my co-host, Paul Doroshenko.
1: Good to be with you, Kyla. Yeah. Glad to be uh, recording the podcast. Let's get it happening.
0: Well, I thought we would start by talking to our listeners about what all of our lawyer listeners are totally missing out on.
1: Which is the?
0: The DUI DLA, the DUI Defense Lawyers Association Annual uh, Spring Seminar, which is being held in Denver, Colorado.
1: Yep. And, we are uh, there. It's great. Uh, we are oh, uh, halfway so through, halfway through Friday and this morning was all Colorado speakers and uh, man, did they ever uh, just like put on a fantastic, yeah. fantastic presentations. So they've been really, really good this morning.
0: Yeah. I mean, yesterday we had um, uh, trial tactics for crossing in a blood alcohol case, that was um, good. which was really useful. A good way of like sort of impugning the state's expert or the, the um, crown's expert witness Um, We also had Denise Childress, who is fucking fantastic, talking about the different types of police officer witnesses and how to control them. As
1: I was uh, listening to her presentation, I was thinking about your book on (laughs) cross-examination. I was like, she should
0: work with me on my next Uh, edition. Yeah,
1: your book on cross-examination is great, but she could do that. She could, you know, the two of you could put it together for the American audience.
0: Yeah. And then um, I spoke about Canadian travel and DUI. And then we had an update on search and seizure case law in the U.S., which wasn't super relevant to us. But I think Blaze gave a really good talk about, like, reframing the way you think about search and seizure.
1: You know, it's funny because the, um, sometimes you come to these conferences and you, you have your small takeaways. But every time you come to these conferences, you come away with the, the, the DUI, DLA ones in particular. You come away with this renewed sense of, OK, this is my mandate. This is what I do. This is my job, and this is where my focus has to be. Yep. And Blaze is a young lawyer, uh, but you know some of those young lawyers have the fire, right? And they put the fire under my ass, and I and I feel like okay, getting back out there and doing it.
0: And then, like the big draw yesterday, really was Doctor Marilyn Houston. Oh my gosh, she is like the godmother of impaired by cannabis research, like five hundred and something published peer-reviewed articles
1: well she she presents to everybody she prevents to presents to the national highway traffic safety association she presents to defense lawyers she presents to prosecutors she was asked to come to canada when we were legalizing cannabis and the question that was continuously apparently put to her she was joking about this during her presentation was like but what's the level okay yeah we know (laughs) that but there's no what's the level um interestingly they um In some studies that she was conducting, they found THC in people's bodies 30 days after use, which tells you that detecting um, THC after the fact tells you nothing about impairment. And the other thing that uh, she found that that she reported on that was really interesting is that uh, impairment disappears so quickly that your... Your tests that you do by the time you get put to back to the detachment to conduct a drug recognition evaluation, which is all bullshit in my mind in any event, um, <laughs> is completely useless. Because by the time you get back to the detachment with the person to conduct the DRE, they're not going to have any of those uh, symptoms anymore. Why? Because they're no longer impaired if they were impaired at the roadside.
0: Yep. And so... Very important takeaway for us in Canada because we have the two-hour after-driving window that yep. makes literally no sense. And whatsoever. Um, so, yeah, Marilyn Hustis, totally worth watching. Now, this is important, though, because if you want to watch the seminar, you can buy it after the fact.
1: Yep, and it's worth buying.
0: Becoming a it's member. Worth buying. Of DUI DLA and uh, signing up and then paying to access the recording of the seminar. So uh, you do get to see it. You're about to plug someone else.
1: Uh, Well, yeah, our friends Colin and Russell who have the podcast, um, Is Is This This Legal? Legal? And it's a pretty good podcast. I listen to it. I don't listen to it every week, but I try and listen to it fairly regularly. Um, these, they, they discuss things that you would not necessarily expect them to discuss They discussing the war in Ukraine and war crimes right now, uh, on their podcast. But the, um, they both presented this morning and, uh, that was a really, really good presentation. I mean, it was, uh, it's about, um, voir dire, uh, voir dire, <laughs> which is a jury selection, uh, in the U S and, um, of course it's very different than in Canada, but, um, connecting your story from the beginning to the end to make out your case is really what I took from it and, um, and what I have told to you before the reasonable man presentation uh, in court. It's not one that you do. You have a different way of taking it. Taking things down, but nobody um,
0: will believe me as a reasonable man. Well,
1: you're very reasonable in the hallway when you're talking to the police officers. It's just that uh, it turns around when they go into court. And of course, I always,
0: I always tell prosecutors, "I'm the most reasonable lawyer you're going to ever deal with."
1: In the hallway, <laughs> the uh, until the trust. Yes, yeah. um, but it, the um, I resolve mean,
0: it's, it now. <laughs> it's different
1: because we, you know, we're talking about uh, judge-alone trials that we're conducting 99.9 percent of the time uh, in Canada, and um, and as a consequence, the uh, a lot of those things are, are not going to apply in the sense of having to always appear so reasonable. Um, but uh, you know, because you're there trying to get the evidence out that you want, and uh, focused on the judge knowing that in the end,
0: it's not so trying to win
1: favors with the judge.
0: That's a small taste of what we have. Um, for, Lots more coming up for this. Have seen so far at the seminar. We've seen other stuff, but there's more coming up. There's tomorrow, Dr. Lance Platt. And I will be doing uh, live DRE demonstrations and contemporaneous saliva testing with dosed subjects. We're gonna have three subjects a daily cannabis user, a um, sometimes cannabis user, and an almost never cannabis user.
1: Naive cannabis user.
0: Naive cannabis user. We're going to see how they perform on the DRE after being dosed with cannabis, as well as what their saliva THC concentration is and whether it's positive for THC and whether that corresponds to the DRE. So it's going to be super fun. Um, And of course, this segues into the other thing that we should talk about, which is what I'm doing next week.
1: Yeah. I haven't even talked
0: about this. It's been on my calendar and I've just kind of been like, floating a log and now the great weight of this big undertaking that I've undertaken is upon me. There's a
1: lot of history behind this. So when the criminal code was changed, uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould's amendments to the impaired driving um, provisions in the criminal code, highly problematic in our eyes and really have yet to be properly, fully litigated and will unfortunately drag through the courts for years. But one of them was saliva testing uh, for drug uh, presence uh, for police officers to try and elevate their opinion of an individual's uh, presentation from uh, a mere suspicion that they might be, have a substance in their body that uh, could impair them while they were driving to the next level of reasonable and probable grounds so they can make an arrest, make a demand, compel them to provide a drug recognition, eval- participate in drug recognition evaluation.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: of course, at the start, we had big problems with it um, because it's pretty intrusive jamming the saliva tester in your mouth for a period of time, then sticking it into uh, a, a approved drug screening device, um, which doesn't tell you anything about concentration. I mean, a approved screening device tells you about uh, possible um, uh, uh, impairment by alcohol because you've got a high level but um, the uh, the problem there is of course this is only telling you what the presence of something may be. So the wonderful Kyla Lee got involved early on in uh, challenging this provisions for various reasons and now it's actually happening so you yeah. better explain the challenges
0: so i'm flying to halifax i literally like fly back from denver uh where i have been struggling with altitude sickness to yep. <laughs> to land in vancouver and then hop on a plane the very next day fly to halifax land at midnight and i'm up at what is 5 a.m to me um in court on my feet arguing that the drug uh, screening device, the Dragor Drug Test 5000 and Abbott Toxic devices, are unconstitutional. That in um, their
1: in their employ
0: in their employ, yes. So there's, um, it, they are effectively the government is conceding that the law is unconstitutional with respect to 10b rights, and that your right to counsel is suspended. And we know from the history of jurisprudence dealing with the constitutionality of. Um, roadside screening for alcohol, that it is unconstitutional. The question is whether or not it's saved by Section 1. So a significant portion of the hearing is going to focus on this Section 1 issue. Um, that is whether or not the um, the government justifies the infringement on the right to counsel.
1: And the onus is on the government.
0: Yes. So, you know, I've already kind of won, <laughs> in a sense, by uh, just relying on past case law. Um And uh, but I'm also arguing that it constitutes an unreasonable search and seizure, contrary to Section 8 of the Charter, which hasn't been found in the context of breath testing, because the courts are usually like, well, you know, it's like a warrantless search on a basis of a suspicion standard. But there's a suspicion standard. And also, it's not that intrusive because you're breathing out anyway. And also, you know, there's no real risk of harm and the sample can't be preserved. So it's all good.
1: Well, the sample is actually destroyed. You put it into an approved screening device uh, breath tester and it destroys the sample. Well, you can't
0: capture breath in a jar and test it later Well, they
1: used to catch it into a balloon.
0: Yeah, but the balloon had the analytical stuff inside it. I know, but you
1: had it there. You still had the...
0: Yeah.
1: But you destroy it. In all breath testing for alcohol, you destroy it. In this case, you're capturing it and it's not destroyed. It's far more intrusive. You're also collecting DNA. You're also yeah.
0: and forcing... And fingerprints. Some,
1: yeah. Forcing something, somebody to have something in their mouth for a long time. And then what do you get in the end? What do you get?
0: You get a positive result on drug screening equipment for one of two substances. That's all they're testing for in Canada. Cannabis or cocaine. And it doesn't show you impairment by either of those drugs, as we know from Dr. Hustis. Yes. It just shows you that there is... A particular threshold concentration of THC in the saliva. Now, there's lots of reasons these devices can give false positive THC in the saliva readings, including, and this is why I say this is a Section 8 violation, including that the officer doesn't observe an appropriate elimination period after something has been taken by mouth. So, um, consuming anything, food or uh, like water, anything like that, there's the manufacturer recommends a 10 minute waiting period. Officer training, for whatever reason, and they haven't been able to explain this in the expert evidence they filed, but when they created the officer training program, they did not require officers to ask any screening tests, nor did they train the officers to delay.
1: Pre-screening test questions, Yeah. yeah.
0: And nor did they train the officers to delay if they knew it. So like if you roll up to your roadblock and you're chewing gum, or you roll up to the roadblock and you are um, like eating a cheeseburger because you just went through the McDonald's drive through That does not matter. They're not going to delay your test, even though the manufacturer says this could have an impact on the reliability of the test results. And so I say the fact that they're not doing it in a, in a properly trained manner amounts to a Section 8 violation. And the government's response to this is, well, the officer can choose to wait if he wants, well, oh, sorry, if they're not trained to wait, if they don't know that it could matter, they're not going to choose to wait.
1: They're not allowed to not follow the instructions that they're given.
0: Well, they're allowed uh, to not know the instructions, but they're not allowed yeah. to just, like, decide to invent a waiting period.
1: Well, they, they are also expected to know the instructions. And uh,
0: they're expected to that, conduct the test immediately. But
1: that's a huge one. And, of course, the, the, uh, the reason for doing the test immediately is to to minimize the constitutional violation. And they can't, they can't do it immediately in the context of this drug screening. Uh, They can't do it immediately. Uh, I mean, none of it's immediate. The manufacturer says, don't do it immediately. The charter of rights says you have to do it immediately. Otherwise it's a uh, egregious charter violation that leads to a remedy.
0: And even the process of like taking a sample, the process of getting the device to accept a sample involves swabbing your mouth for one to three minutes and that after you swab your mouth for one to three minutes inserting it into the device which takes another 10 minutes or so to analyze so you're you're taking a long period of time for each sample to be analyzed whereas with a roadside breath tester you provide a breath sample that takes like maybe two seconds to blow and maybe another up to 30 seconds if it's really bad um, to analyze on the fuel cell. So like, they're they're, so different. They're so different. And their response is, well, this is the operational requirements of the device. So it's fine as long as it's the operational requirements of the device. And my answer to that, of course, is if they don't have a device that can't do it constitutionally, they don't just get to say the constitution doesn't apply because the technology doesn't exist particularly where they have had and continue to have other roadside detection methods that have not been tried, that is the SFST.
1: Exactly. So, I mean, just because the only way that it will work is with anal probing doesn't mean that you get to use <laughs> anal probing, right?
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> really, that's what... That it, might produce like, a more reliable that, I know, result. but that's, the, ar- that's <laughs> the argument, essentially. Like, well, yeah. you know, this, all we have is this anal probe. Therefore, it must be constitutional.
0: That's, that's I, not I how it works. Probably, so anyway, we'll see we how it goes. I mean,
1: she, I, they'll have a strong argument, too. So yeah,
0: I probably won't use that argument in court.
1: Try the anal probe
0: yeah. argument. Yeah, I will. Um, anyway, so that's uh, that's tomorrow. It's going to be... Tomorrow. or Next week, sorry. It better not be <laughs> tomorrow. You've got a big problem. Yeah, I've got a problem. You're, you're, I'm in Denver. You're in Denver. <laughs> um, no, that's next week. And I'm looking forward to it. I'm a little bit nervous. I'm going alone. So um, I don't have any like of my team to yep. help me.
1: Yep, you're missing the home team advantage, but I'm sure you'll do fine.
0: Yeah, the judge is very nice. So it'll be pleasant, even if it's painful.
1: I just can't believe, I mean, this thing started in Nova Scotia. The substantive case that they started with, they withdrew when they realized that it wasn't going their way. It's still going on as with respect to this challenge to the use of the devices. Um, and it's, I, I mean, and it's in Nova Scotia, right? And you're the one running it. You're the sole lawyer, I think, now who's appearing on it. Yep. So started off with some other people on the team, and now everybody else has fallen away for various, because um, their aspect of it, I guess, is no longer
0: there, and yours is still going. So, And that's not even the only big piece of, Jesus, we haven't even talked about this either. The only big piece of constitutional litigation that we are involved in, um, at the end of May, we're also going to be appearing in B.C. Supreme Court, bringing a constitutional challenge to mandatory breath testing.
1: That'll be an interesting one, but we should talk about that one another day because we're 17 minutes into the podcast here and and there's more we want to talk about. we have
0: to talk about changes to traffic court. Now, last week, of course, on the podcast, we brought you the update. You heard it here first, folks. Revealed
1: by Kyla Lee in Acumen Law.
0: The government was trying to make massive changes to the way that traffic court uh, is operating in B.C. And there's been sort of a move toward... um, Uh, toward getting public uh, attention paid to this. There've been some news stories. Uh, I've been in a couple radio interviews and it resulted in the attorney general sort of clarifying a few things that don't make me feel that much more comfortable. The first is that, yes, they definitely are intending to ban lawyers from resolution conferences. Like just come out and say it, you know. Just say it, if that's what you want to
1: do. On the one hand, everybody's concerned about access to justice. People can't get access to lawyers, and the government's saying that too. And that's an issue. That's an issue. It's less of an issue with us because we charge so little for our fantastic services. But then their response to access to justice is just to ban lawyers from the the process.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And unfortunately, this was sort of started with a civil resolution tribunal, was the first sort of version of this, and the IRP scheme um, and now uh, we see the, uh, the um, very nice person who was responsible for the civil resolution tribunal is now uh, basically second in command in the AG's office, and only months in we have this.
0: Now, one thing that the AG said, and I want to discuss this with you, is part of the reason they're doing this is that 80% of all traffic tickets that are issued in B.C., are disputed.
1: That's a huge number. and uh, But the thing is, you go to court and you see a lot of individuals dispute their ticket and then they don't show up for court. So on the court list, if I'm there for 1030 court, I might be there with a you know police officer and he's got three other tickets. And I'm the only person who shows up defending my client. The other people file their tickets in dispute and end up with deemed convictions. Yeah, so they- it may be 80%. That are disputing their ticket, but, but they're not coming. Of that eighty percent, only thirty percent are probably coming, and so I'm, I'm not running into backlogs in court these days.
0: But also, given how often we and everyone else in our office are in traffic court, you would think that we would have a good sense of how often lawyers are involved. It's not that often.
1: No, often more often than not. Almost every time I'm at traffic court, I'm the only lawyer there. Yeah. And there can be multiple courtrooms running in Vancouver, for example, and I don't see any other lawyer, or I might see one lawyer show up. So um, how,
0: like, how do you as a government go, well, there's a problem because our revenue collection on traffic tickets, because that's what this is about, let's be honest. There's a problem because our revenue collection on traffic tickets is down, and... We don't have any way to bring it up and it's being delayed because of all these people disputing their tickets to lawyers are the problem. Where the fuck do the lawyers come into this when there are so few tickets involving legal counsel? And in most circumstances where there's legal counsel, the matter is likely to proceed more efficiently, resolve with Less difficulty for the court. If it's a trial, it's going to be focused. The issues are going to be focused on what actually matters. You're not going to get a meandering cross examination about what color the car was.
1: Yeah, occasionally you're there, and there's some self-represented individual who has their you know thing they're really upset about the uh, uh, their date of birth is is wrong or something on the, the, the instead of 68, they're 86 or 86 or 68. And they think that's going to be the end of it, and they, you know, they're there running this trial um, and taking all this time because they're self-represented. Mm-hmm. When you have a lawyer there, you're not going to run the argument on that. I mean, it might be a factor in the police officer's recollection, but you're not. The focus isn't going to be. You have to dispute this. You have to dismiss this ticket because my date of birth is off by a day or something. Yeah. Um, this is uh, this is not the issue, but you know, it comes back to like. Drunk driving lawyers with the IRP scheme, we were easy targets, right? We were the low-hanging fruit for the government to tribunalize and take away the rights of people to dispute the allegation. And who's next on the list for the low-hanging fruit? Yeah, it's, I guess yeah. it's traffic ticket lawyers. Well,
0: and, you know, it's hard to get excited about defending your ability to have a traffic ticket lawyer because traffic tickets are are designed to be more easy to dispute yourself it's a less formal process it's less intimidating the consequences are less severe so you might not think that it really matters because you wouldn't hire a lawyer but that doesn't mean that you should be deprived the right to choose
1: and lawyers this is coming to your area of practice too it's just a matter of time it's also coming to your province so of course Alberta tried this, and they and they had backlash. And of course the Alberta government is already on the ropes. Jason Kenney's going to get turfed. Um, we unless you know I vote for him in this leadership review. I'm sure that somebody's created a fake um, membership. Oh, are you, for are me. you voting? For I'm him? sure some somebody's created a fake uh, membership for me, so they could vote for him. You don't uh, even they, live in they, they Alberta. They do so much voter fraud. But no, this is coming to you, and I'll tell you how it happens. And you know this already. But the people in the motor vehicle branch in your province or state um, are go to conferences. Mm-hmm. And this is Let how w- we learned. Yeah. And we learned all about how the IRP scheme was presented at a, at a conference. And there was discussions across the country. And they decided that BC would be the most fertile place to do this. And, of course, they were quite motivated to do it in BC. And so that's where it came out first. Now, where else is it? Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Ontario, all having some version of it. That's the IRP scheme. Then they tried traffic tickets in Alberta. That didn't work. So now they're trying it differently in BC. They're saying, oh, well, this is it's only a trial thing.
0: Yeah, it's only a four-year time-limited pilot project. And it's optional because you know the government's not going to be pushing you towards it.
1: Failed in Alberta, so they're refloating it in BC. This is the people from the various different government offices get together and have a conference. Oh man, oh, you guys made a good try in Alberta. We see it failed. So so I guess, you know, are you guys going to try it in BC? This is the way we should do it. This is how we get around the failures that we had. Make it a limited time, make it a trial thing, and then we'll be able to sell it to the public. Also, your government's not going to fall on this So, you know, I guess if you could get the IRP scheme started first in BC and the suckers in British Columbia are willing to go along with that, then the suckers in British Columbia will let this one fly too. It's disgusting. It makes me very angry.
0: So lawyers under attack by the BC government leads me into our last topic, which is not explicitly driving law. But I think we can connect it to driving law because we see the BC government attacking lawyers when they brought in the IRP scheme. And in fact, at one of those conferences, we obtained a presentation by the then deputy superintendent of motor vehicles after the legislation had been brought in talking about it and specifically on the fine and, and um, fee revenue for the government. And they said that they didn't realize how expensive it would actually be. They were anticipating making a lot more money, but they didn't realize how many lawyers would challenge things and make it more expensive.
1: Yeah, well, and that was us. That yeah. was just a, like directly referring us, you and me. Yeah. Um, the um, so I remember that presentation, yeah. reading that presentation, and it referred to. I told you we were going to do this last year. You guys We're all monitoring it, and let's see if we can blow this by. I can't. I, I was shocked to find out. I had no idea that there was motor vehicle branch conferences.
0: (laughs) So the other thing that is, I think, important to consider in lawyers being under attack is the way that they've limited your rights to have a lawyer in all the civil resolution tribunal matters, the way that they limited your rights to have a lawyer in ICBC matters, specifically in front of the civil resolution tribunal, and even limited some of your legal rights and your legal representation aspects in court through changes to the uh, court rules. And now they're coming for traffic court lawyers. And today they announced a new regulatory framework in BC is in the works for uh, one regulatory body, new piece of legislation that the government is working on drafting to regulate all legal professionals. This means lawyers, the Society of Notaries Public, the Law Society of BC, and paralegals presumably will now come under this same regulatory umbrella, which means that the government and, and in their announcement, they actually say, defining what classes of cat or categories of work may be performed by each level of regulated professional, in the sense that they could say, Lawyers may no longer defend you in criminal court on summary proceeding matters, for example. That, they well, could, that,
1: that'll be the one they don't cross the no, line on. they but, won't. Um, but the, the, it's, it's a dark corner. I mean, it's it a dark a turn. It is a
0: very dark turn. You know, corner.
1: we as lawyers in B.C. think that the Law Society of B.C. represents us. And so we want this independent organization. And it doesn't represent us. That's not their role. I mean, their role is to regulate and their role is to investigate and punish. But they hold themselves out as representing us. And they don't represent us. I mean, it feels like they sell us down the river because they, you know, they 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 haven't done anything to to protect uh, the people's right to have a lawyer and these oh, God, important no. things.
0: They support this. I know.
1: So, and every time it's like they they ho- always hold out traffic lawyers. Well, we can eliminate those first, um, and of course, you know, you and I, you're, you've run to be a venture and you haven't won. Uh, I'm never going to be uh, a, a venture in one of those positions of influence with the law society ever, ever, ever. Uh, but you know, they don't represent us. They're not representing us. That's not their job, um, and and that's fine. But they hold themselves out as representing us, and all these lawyers are shocked. Well, the law society's doing nothing about it. Well, yeah, that's because they they're, they're not there to help you. <laughs> they're they're there to punish you and investigate you. They're there, you know. They set the rules, but they're not there to help you. And we really need to split the law society up. It should not exist. It should be it would, there. Should be a, a superintendent of uh, of uh, uh, legal practice or something like that, and a separate organization for training lawyers. And uh, you know, when you're called to the bar, that should all just be run by the court, provincial court even.
0: I am very curious to see what areas of practice lawyers will no longer be able to practice in, because you know that's what the government's going to do.
1: Yep and law society is going to be right alongside with it because again you know they're not they're not there to defend or help lawyers.
0: Yes. So that is all of that. Let's end on a positive note, Paul. You have the best the ridiculous driver of the week. driver of the week for
1: us well i don't have it pulled up right now on my phone so i may not be able to remember it all um the uh, perhaps you could find it but the uh <laughs> this is a great one so a young woman 18 years old um posts a video on either tiktok or instagram where she's talking about how she beat a dui that she blew a 3.8 or a 3.2 or something and she beat a dui she just got home she beat a DUI because she flirted with the officer. The officer was really cute. The officer took her number. Um, she was pulled over. She was plastered. She blew a three point eight, yeah. and she's got a she's got coffee lined up with him later in the week, and so on and so forth. Now, this sounded quite not believable. Um, so many people were probably not necessarily believing it, but a lot of people did. Right? They're looking at it, saying, "You know, there's." Uh, young women have gotten out of traffic tickets by crying uh, occasionally. I know uh, Grant Goddard uh, never did that, according to uh, uh, to him. But uh, the um, this is you know uh, something that is a, a known thing. I know new women who've reported that to me too, especially back when I was a teenager and I had friends who were getting traffic tickets. So. Um, the, uh, police department, uh, looked at it and said, look, we have to counter this. And they were able to counter it fairly easily with, uh, the body cam footage of the police officer, which was very professional. And she did not, she denied. She did not
0: seem intoxicated, although she has maintained since that she was lying.
1: Yeah. Well. Or was,
0: was drunk rather. The
1: police officer, uh, pulled her over for, uh, weaving and, uh, I was, laugh weaving you know how many people are actually weaving have their loom going you know they're they're, they're drifting from side to side in the lane or something like that it's just such a a a lousy term to describe driving weaving Uh, but uh, pulled her over for weaving and she was in her mother's car uh, and he walked up to her and she looked sober she looked sober and there was nothing to indicate impairment there was no odor that he detected Uh, there was nothing wrong with her face or eyes at least on the body cam Um, and uh, he dealt with her briefly. It wasn't a a long detention, and he allowed her to leave, and it looked to me like a a good, clean traffic stop where the police officer was recognizing her rights as a driver and and proceeding on. Now, had she been pulled over in Canada, she would have been required to provide a sample to an approved screening device, guaranteed in those circumstances. But in the United States, um, what they call a PBT, which is our equivalent of an approved screening device, um, preliminary breath tester uh, they, they can't just use in those same uh, in that same manner and and in most states you're not compelled to provide a sample it's voluntary in any event uh, the police may detain you and say look I, I have to do this or I have to do this if you want to blow into this I can might be able to release you right away um, and there's questions about the uh, the constitutional validity of that in the United States in any event but in Canada of course she would have been uh, she would have been ASD uh, and had she provided a sample, that was a fail. There would have been some consequences after that. But in any event, so she looks fine. So uh, the police released this body cam. And of course, this is, uh, you know, now become a big story. And mm-hmm. she is the ridiculous driver of the week, no doubt. Uh, she came out and apologized afterward. And If I could turn back time, basically, if I could turn back time. Um, So speaking of singing, I just want to give a plug for something that's happening, Kyla, if that's okay. Yes. Next Wednesday, so in just a few short days, I am releasing a song that I've been working on for two years. It's not a country song. It's a rock song. And I've done it, I've written it, as you know, um, for Canadians. Uh, It is, uh, I guess, my gift to Canada. I did it with my producer that I've done my other music with. I'm really proud of it. Uh, You will be able to find a link to it on my Twitter feed. So it's um, at Paul Doroshenko. And uh, it will probably be released on noon, at noon Wednesday. It's a great video to accompany it. Um, Canada needs another song about hockey, Kyla. And I've written and performed a hockey song. And I'm proud of it.
0: Well, I can't wait to play it next week on the podcast for our listeners
1: awesome thank you
0: all right well that's our podcast and if you need to get in touch with us about a driving law related issue we are still available by phone at 604-685-8889 or find us online at vancouvercriminallaw.com and tune in next week for another exciting episode of driving law